Okay, we're going to mainly just be in, um, we're going to go to a few places in scriptures, but if you have Matthew chapter 6 open before you, uh, we're going to begin by looking at the first little bit of verse 9, which simply says, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. When you, uh, I've noticed something as I've worked as a governor uh, at the school, and that is this, I refer to the teachers at the school by their first names. I know them on first name terms. But if any of the children hear their teachers called by their first name, they find it really amusing. It's really funny to them that you can call a teacher by their first name. It's almost like a different persona. They're a split personality. You know a teacher either as Miss or Sir or Mr. Hope or Mrs. Hope. And the reason that we call them that is because of who they are in respect to us. And the way we address people depends on our relationship to them. So only my children call me dad. I have term, we have, maybe have terms of endearment for our spouse that would be just, we just wouldn't use of anybody else. In fact, when, we went to, when Paula moved to Devon for the first time, uh, someone called her my lover, and she said, no, you're not. <laughs> it was really confusing to her. And in the black country, I'm still getting used to people calling me Babs. I mean, it's strange. But how is it that we relate to God? Jesus could have used any number of ways of referring to God in prayer. He could have said, our creator or our sovereign. But shockingly, and for his audience uncomfortably, He said, our Father, which art in heaven. Our Father. The reason that school children do not use first names is because there is a respect for the authority invested in the teacher. And there is also a reason Jesus begins his teaching on the Lord's Prayer by using the phrase, our Father, which art in heaven. And this evening, we're going to look at the reason why Jesus begins this prayer in this way. Remember, we said when we were looking at this earlier, uh, before the summer, that it's called the Lord's Prayer, but another name for it might well be the Disciples' Prayer. For this is the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's for us to pray. It teaches us how to pray. And this evening, we're going to look at this first phrase, our Father, which art in heaven. And it's my prayer as we go through these, that any sermon on prayer and any book you read on prayer should make you want to do one thing, pray. And I, I've, I pray that as we look at this and as we look at our Father in heaven, it'll make us want to go home, close the door and just pray. And just speak to our Father. And if it does that, then that's what any sermon on prayer and any book on prayer should do. So when you are in relationship with somebody, it defines how you speak to them. When I was uh, in IT, I had a relationship with my boss in such a way that I wouldn't speak to them about anything. It had to be work-related. It wasn't informal, it wasn't intimate, it was very work-based. I have a relationship with our queen, but I can't speak to her at any time. I can't just go around 
Buckingham Palace and knock on the door and try and speak to her. And I have a relationship with my family where it's intimate and I can speak to them about anything. And as we come to uh, pray, as we come to look at the Lord's Prayer, we need to look at how we relate to God. Is it like we relate to the Queen, distant and we can't really speak? Is it the way I relate to my boss at work? There's some things that are just out of bounds. Or is it really, as Jesus says here, in a familial relationship, our Father? And it's wonderful that we can see that Jesus tells us it's that third way. It's our Father. It's as a family. We come to God as our Father. And when we read our Father, we see some important truths that help us, I hope, to pray. First of all, as we look at our Father, it tells us our identity. Our Father tells us our identity. Jesus, who taught this prayer, is the Son of God. He could legitimately call God his Father because he was his Son. He had Joseph as his earthly father, but Joseph was not his biological father. He was, we, we said it in the Apostles' Creed, he's born of the Virgin Mary. God is his father. And the Son of God did not have the sin nature that in every other person blocks us from being in relationship with the Father. God is a holy God. He is perfect in every way. And because we are not, we are blocked from being in relationship with God. But Jesus was different. Jesus is the Son of God with no sin and so could call God our, my Father. But there was one time in the Gospels, because you see all through it, Jesus refers to God as my Father. But there's one time where we read he didn't. That one time was when Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One time. Because on the cross, the father forsook the son and poured his wrath upon the son who bore our sin. Jesus died as our substitute. He died on the cross in our place. He took for us that rejection of the Father. And he exchanged with us his righteousness. What made him able to have a relationship with the Father. And so when we believe in what Jesus has done, that he has died and that he has risen... And we ask God for forgiveness of sin. The Bible says we become children of God. And the Bible describes this as adoption. We are not natural children of God, but we are adopted children of God. And we can be children of God because Jesus gives us his righteousness and has borne our sin. Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ 
in accordance with his pleasure and will. He adopted us to sonship through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has died in our place. He's bore our sin. He's given us his righteousness. God adopts us as his children. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 tells us that this means that God is our father as he was the father of Jesus. Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 says the same uh, kind of thing. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. So we, as his children, can call him our Father. Not because we're naturally his children, but because he adopted us into his family. Adopted children. And this teaches us our identity. We are sons of God. He is our Father, and we relate to him as Jesus related to him, as our Father. Adoption was actually similar in Roman times to today. An adopted person lost all the rights of their old family and they gained all the rights of their new family as legitimate children. They were as legitimate children as the natural-born children. Uh, My wife Paula is adopted. She has the same rights as uh, as her sisters who are naturally born. There's no difference. And we praise God for that family. They treated them no differently. That's how God treats us. He treats us, he looks at us like he looks at Jesus. And he's pleased with us, like he's pleased with Jesus. In the Roman times, even the debts that they had were wiped clean as if they never existed. And that's what God has done with our sins. He looks at us as his children. And we inherit the rights of being in God's family. It's wonderful. We inherit the love of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the comfort of God's family, the church, eternal life in our heavenly home, our ours because we are children of God, adopted into his family. He is our Father. And that name, Abba, is important too. It's the Aramaic term for Father, But it's not a formal greeting, it's a personal greeting. Something you would call your own father, which is what made it so scandalous. Because Jesus called God Father, Abba Father. He was calling him my own personal father. Not just a formal father, but my personal father. That's what made it so scandalous. And we inherit that name for God ourselves. He is our Father. Now just just think on that for a moment. The God of the universe, who made all things, who is holy and perfect in every way, is your Father. It's amazing, isn't it? When When you think on that, he's our Father. But it also tells us in the Lord's Prayer that this prayer is for Christians. 
Because there is, of course, a sense that God, and he's described in the Bible as a father in terms of his creating of all things and all people. But he's not Abba Father of all. This prayer is for Christians. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Only those who believe and trust in Jesus have the right to be called children of God. If you are a Christian today, you are a child of God. Often we define ourselves by what we do. So I might say, I am a pastor. You might say, I am a plumber, or I am this. Or, but our, de- our identity is not in what we do. It's in who we are in Christ. I am a child of God. That is, that is your identity, line number one, if you're a Christian. You are a child of God. So our Father tells us about our identity, but it also tells us about God's identity. It tells us something about what God is like. And the Old Testament describes God as a Father there as well, many times, in different ways. And as it describes God as Father, the Old Testament describes God with the attributes that a good Father should have. I'm not going to go through all the verses, but in the Old Testament we see God as a Father in terms of begetting We see God as a father in his care and his discipline. We see God as a father in his nearness. He's a father of the fatherless, it describes in Psalm 68. It describes God as a father in terms of his guidance. It describes God as a father uh, in terms of his loving grace. And he describes God as a father in terms of his being obeyed, in terms of his being obeyed. But in the Old Testament, he's described as a father, but in a more national sense of Israel and in his work for the nation, rather than as a personal Abba Father relationship. They didn't enjoy the intimacy of of relationship that we can in the New Testament. There was a distance. And a person could not enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or in the temple, and dwell with God in that intimate way because of sin. There was a barrier, the temple curtain. The sacrificial system enabled people to relate to God and cover sin, but there was still a a distance and an inaccessibility to God. And that's why Abba Father was so scandalous, because no one had that kind of relationship with God, because he is so holy and, and perfect. But that's the second thing we have in terms of our father. First is identity, but now we have access. Our father tells us we have access. The holy of holies is accessible for us. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two. The way to God is open. And here we read our father God gives us the keys to his house, to the Holy of Holies, so we can live with him as his children. My children live in our house and are welcome in my house, and I hope will always be comfortable in my house. When I'm at home, they can talk to me. 
and accessible to them. And through Christ, we can enter into God's presence and we can talk to him. We can be with him. We can be comfortable with him. Peter Lewis uh, says this, It is right that we should approach with confidence our Father in heaven when we pray. But it's also right that we should marvel at our privilege and even our safety in doing so. For the ancient Hebrews, the Holy of Holies was a frightening place. And for the modern Christian, it is only because Jesus has gone there as our Redeemer and Mediator that it has become our eternal home. So we have an identity which gives us access. Because of who I am in Christ, I am able to come to the Father. But I have a right because of who I am, and I have access to see my local MP, but it doesn't mean he wants to see me. But it's different with God because we have intimacy. We have identity and access, but we have intimacy. Our Father tells us that God wants to speak to us. He wants us to speak to him. He wants us to have relationship with him. The God of the universe, almighty God, wants to speak with you. You can speak to almighty God and he wants to hear from you. Isn't that amazing? We don't just, he doesn't just give us identity and access and then begrudgingly says, okay, I suppose you've got the passport, you can come in. He wants to see you. He wants to be with you as our Father. And notice in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're still in Matthew chapter 6, this would be helpful. Jesus talks of our Father in relation to us, and it's intimate. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8. It says, For your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. He knows what you need. He knows us as our Father. Look at verse uh, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Our Father in heaven knows the birds, and he loves the birds, and he provides for the birds. But oh, how much more he loves you. Our Father takes an interest in us. He values us. He loves us. And this should stir our hearts to pray, should it not? We don't come to a God who is cold and who is distant, but a God who delights in us and who loves to see us in his presence. But there are two barriers that I want to mention that hinder us from relating to God as our Father. Two barriers. The first one is that we come to God as our Father as adults instead of children. With my father, I do not depend on him for money anymore. I do not depend on him to feed me anymore. In fact, if I phoned him up and asked him for food and money, um, I'd be mortified if I was honest with you. I don't need to do that anymore because I'm independent from him. I don't have to obey what my father now tells me as a man in his 30s. I don't even have to follow his advice if I don't want to. And in fact, those things are not bad. 
Because it's good that we bring our children up to be independent adults. I don't want my children in 30 years' time to still rely on me to be giving them handouts. But the danger is we take that relationship to God our Father. Because Jesus tells us to come not as adults but as little children. For I do depend on my Father for all of my needs. Financial, material, uh, physical and otherwise. I do depend on my Father for guidance and advice. And I must obey my Father. And it's a real barrier to prayer when we relate to our Father as adults and not children. We need to come to God as little children, depending on our Father to give us our needs. And the second barrier is this. We have a distorted image, often, of an earthly father that we can project onto our heavenly father. Even the best earthly fathers are flawed. But we live in a world where some have bad fathers. Maybe some of you have never experienced the tender love, the warm embrace, the affection and the trustworthiness that the name father should make us think of. One writer who wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer, Derek Prime, says, we do not call him father because features of his character remind us of our human parents. The opposite is the case. His is the true fatherhood. His is not derived from ours, but ours from his. So, so we must not project our poor fathers onto our heavenly father. And in fact, I would say this. I believe we can have even a greater understanding of what God is like from what we don't have because we know what we should have. And God is not like that. And that's why the second part of the Lord's Prayer, of this, of this phrase of the Lord's Prayer, is so helpful. He is our Father, which art in heaven. At my very best, I am a flawed father with a limited capacity to do good and provide for my children. That is why we don't pray to me. We pray to our Father, which art in heaven. When we pray to our Father in heaven, we are acknowledging some truths about God. And when you think of Father, and you're trying to relate to God as our Father, you don't project the bad images of Father onto God. You look at God, at who he is, and you look at how Scripture has revealed him, and you say, that's my Father. You look at how the scripture describes what a father should be like and you say, that's what my father is like. He is my father which art in heaven. And when we say in heaven, we acknowledge that God is perfect. It's not about location because God is omnipresent. Heaven is not uh, just describing where God is, but heaven is described because it's where God's glory is most manifestly evident. And when we pray, our Father which art in heaven, we're saying some important things about God. First of all, we say about God, and secondly, uh, it explains how we should relate to him. So first of all, 
It talks of the greatness of our Father. The greatness of our Father. First, we are praying over and thinking on the greatness of our Father. He's our Father in heaven. Heaven is perfect as our Father is perfect. That's why unless we are uh, cleansed by Jesus and given his robes of righteousness, we cannot go there because we would ruin it. But he gives us those robes of righteousness, makes us perfect that we can dwell in heaven. So we focus on the perfection of God. Many of the Psalms, which is a prayer book of the Bible, begin this way. Even Psalms that are full of despair praise God for his greatness. Uh, Just one to think of is Psalm 77. Asaph is in utter despair in this Psalm. If you read the beginning of the Psalm, which we haven't got time to, he's in absolute despair. And then he gets to verse 10, and look what he says. It says, then I thought, so he, 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 he recollects, he remembers. To this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. This is our God. That is my Father. That is our Father. When we say our Father in heaven, we dwell on the greatness of our Father. So it begins the Lord's Prayer with with a recollection of who our Father is. He's our Father which art in heaven. That's why it's helpful as we pray to to meditate on the scriptures, isn't it? We've said that before as we we had the table talk on prayer. We said, read through the scriptures. Look at who your father is. Get to know him. And you'll see he is great. As we say in heaven, we recollect much of God's greatness. We recollect his holiness. We recollect his sovereignties, his control, absolute control over everything. You know, when we're praying to our Father in heaven, we're praying to the God who is in the control room of all things. Our Father is in control of everything. We, we, think, we, we think on his power. We think on his knowledge and on his wisdom. We think of his majesty. He is worthy of praise. He is beautiful. He is glorious. This is our Father. Often, um, small children like to show off about their father. At school, you can see or hear conversations, my dad's taller than your dad, my dad's faster than your dad. Well, we can turn around and say, my father is the greatest. My father created the heavens and the earth. My father knows everything. My father controls the whole universe. My father is majestic. My father is holy. My father is all wise. My father is everywhere. I can't escape my father. He is everywhere. We read earlier, my father comforts me in my troubles. My father is in heaven. That's my father. And we should, as his children, go to everyone else and say, my father is in heaven. This is who my father is. Go and tell others how great your father is. And then challenge them to say, I bet yours isn't as good as mine. And this should help us to pray. 
because it causes us to praise God and to realize we pray to a father who can do anything. Nothing is beyond him. So heaven tells of how our father is great, but it has another impact. And that's the second thing. When we think of in heaven, it should impact our attitude to our father. When we say in heaven, we not only recollect how great God is, but also recollect how we ought to have a right and a humble attitude towards him. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2 are helpful in this, uh, in this uh, point. The preacher in Ecclesiastes 5 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near and to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know they have done wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As we approach God... We are approaching Almighty God in heaven. We must not come to God flippantly. We come to God intimately, but not flippantly. He is uh, God Almighty, not God Almighty. We should think about what we say. Jesus previously uh, talked about vain babbling and how we shouldn't just vainly uh, speak and not think. We come to Almighty God. Intimacy, yes, but he's almighty God. And we need to come with humility, not just with a shopping list of requests. As we go through the Lord's Prayer, we'll see actually how God sets the agenda for prayer, and it's his agenda that we pray through. In prayer, we seek God's will, not to impose ours on him. And as we seek his will, his will becomes our will. So we need to have an attitude of repentance as we come before God. An attitude of confession sin, realizing that we we don't deserve to be in this place, although we're ever so thankful that we are. We need to come with hearts that are utterly dependent upon him to supply our needs, not just with token prayers for help when there's an emergency. We need to come to God in heaven for guidance and help in our times of needs. And as we go through the Lord's Prayer, notice how all the petitions flow from this. They flow from our Father which art in heaven. So we honor the name of the Father when we say, hallowed be thy name. We care for the Father's purposes when we say, your kingdom come. We pray about our Father's will as we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We rely on our Father's provision as we say, give us this day our daily bread. We seek our Father's forgiveness as we say, forgive us our debts. And we follow our Father's guidance as we say, lead us not into temptation. Everything flows from knowing him as our Father which art in heaven. We can call God Father, we can have that intimacy, but he's our Father which art in heaven. And A.W. Pink summarized this beautifully as the blessed balance, the blessed balance. We have God as our Father, which describes his goodness and his grace, his comfort, the confidence and love. But we have in heaven, which describes his greatness and his majesty, his humility and his awe. And if we had the first without the second, we just had our Father, we would be uh, unholily familiar. There'd be an unholy familiarity. 
But if we had the second without the first, we just had in heaven without our Father, we'd have coldness and dread. But there's this blessed balance that he gives us. He's our Father, which art in heaven. And it's wonderful. So let's apply this to our prayer life. I want this not just to be an intellectual exercise. As we go through each petition, I want us to, to, to apply this uh, practically. So what actions can we take from our Father which are in heaven? Well, first of all, I encourage you to set time aside to pray and use your Bible to focus on who our God is. And if you want to ask, where should I go? Go to Psalms. Psalms are brilliant for just looking through and seeing how great our God is, and they are prayers to our great God in various situations. Set time aside to pray and use your Bible to do so. Secondly, just spend some time meditating, remembering, recollecting that you are his child and he loves you and he sent his son to die for you. Remember, recollect that you do have access to God and express in prayer thanks for this. And just have times as you pray in silence, remembering these things. I think it's helpful just to meditate and think about who we are in Christ, our Father. We are his children. As his children, life now is about pleasing our Father. So pray for help to do this. And consider how currently you don't please your Father. And apologize to him. Confess it. Come to our Father and ask him to help you understand and follow his guidance, which is the Bible. Sometimes we open our Bibles and we don't understand exactly what it's saying. Pray to our Father and say, Father, I need your help to understand what you are telling me to do here. And then finally, as we come to our Father, pray for other Christians. Pray for other Christians. Our Father tells us we are in a family because it's our Father. God has not just had uh, one child, you. He's had many, many millions of children. And so we need to pray for each other who by adoption are our brothers and sisters. Let me challenge you with something this week. Seek out one person in the fellowship that you don't know who is in the prayer diary and ask them, how can I pray for you? And then pray for them and then follow them up and ask them how God is answering the prayers that you are praying for them. Let me encourage you to do that. that. As you go through the prayer diary, I am sure that there are people you don't know or you don't know very well. Let me challenge you as a family of believers in Jesus who have the same father, let's get to know our brothers and sisters and let's pray for one another. Uh, I'm going to uh, ask um, Morris to come. Uh, he's going to pray for us. And each week after we've done uh, a part of the Lord's Prayer, um, someone's going to pray uh, and uh, base that on the themes that we've been looking at. So Morris is going to come and pray for us. Let's pray together. <clears throat>
Heavenly Father, we give you our thanks now for your word. This evening we've been thinking about the pattern which the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples. Not a rigid code, but as a loving guide for us. And so, Heavenly Father, we approach you as your children, and we call you our Father. And we remember your greatness, our Father in heaven. Father, you have given us so much to dwell on, even in these few words, our Father who art in heaven. As your children, we thank you that out of your loving kindness, you have adopted us into your family. May we hold you in great esteem and reverence and awe, as we know that throughout your word you have revealed yourself as a holy God, a powerful, all-wise, loving and gracious God. As brothers and sisters, may we never be in danger of treating you lightly, but be ever mindful of what you have saved us from and what it cost you, Father, in sending your one and only Son to take the punishment which we deserved. Please accept our praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have talked uh, about access We've talked about how we can dwell with God, and that's only through Jesus. And we're going to sing uh, our our hymn before we come to the Lord's table. Uh, As we come to uh, communion, we we celebrate together as a family uh, and remember what Jesus has done for us. And so we're going to sing, I come into your presence with nothing in my hands, because Jesus is our only hope. He's the only way we can have that relationship with God, our Father. So let's stand together and sing. After, but before we start, after we've sung as well, we're going to just have a time of, sorry, very quiet prayer, uh, silent prayer. So we'll be seated after we've sung, and we'll just have a time of silence as we pray to our Father before we come uh, to his table. So let's stand and sing, and then we'll sit to pray. So let's stand. <laughs> 